with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In this edition of the show, we will take a look at the global economy. Where is it heading to, and what is China's role in it? And now, let's begin with our discussion. The International Monetary Fund hinted it may raise its outlook for the world economy this year. The IMF head Kristalina Georgieva said the global economic outlook is not as bad as feared a couple of months ago, but less bad doesn't quite yet mean good. She said the global headline inflation was heading down, and China's reopening was expected to boost global growth. The IMF is now forecasting China's economy will outpace global growth of 2.7 percent this year at 4.4 percent. So to talk about this year's global economy and China's role in it, we are joined by Wang Dan, chief economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So then, first of all, we heard some optimistic comments from the head of the IMF saying that the things are not going to be as bad as we thought initially. What they are going to be, but there is still a lot of fear among some that、uh, we could be heading for a global recession. So we don't know yet; it's a mild or stronger recession. What do you expect for the global economy this year? And、the global economy outlook is certainly improving with China's reopening.、Uh, the U.S. and European economies will still likely to stagnate this year, but may not have deep recession. Precisely because China's recovery is back into the global picture. But when we look at the global economic growth, there might be some risks that can derail our forecast.、Uh, there might be more escalation of Ukraine crisis.、Uh, there could be social unrest due to inflation all over the world, and there can be some more regional tensions. So we don't know whether the global central banks can hold back the inflation, and we don't know how shrewd every government can be. But now, at least, the sentiment is better than the last year.、Mm, so, Anna, what do you think? Will there be a global recession, or will there be a mild or stronger one? Well, we're already in recession, so I don't necessarily see that. But it's not uh, universal. Uh, you, you're not seeing it as much in、uh, Asia. Uh, China, basically,、uh, any country that is part of this kind of growing global uh, regional um, economy, uh, which is reflected in ASEAN and、uh, China, but not necessarily in Japan and South Korea. So while inflation is here, I think yes,、um, China. I agree with Dan. Dan,、uh, the China's entry uh, in uh, back into the world is going to be very important. But it's、uh, what was surprised me about her comments、um, is that it was all about China,、uh, not enough about. The drag on the world economy, which is going to be the developed nations, especially,、uh, you know, the, you know, U.S.、Uh, Europe in particular,、uh, but also Japan and South Korea. So you have you have this growing 
chasm between the developed nations and the uh, middle nations and then the developed the developed nations versus middle nations and developing nations and it's going to be uh, hard uh, and difficult for especially uh, these developing nations which are often ignored in these economic analysis mm-hmm. so I know so as we heard from the IMF is that uh, the economic outlook for the year ahead is looking better than it was initially thought but on the other hand we continue to see pressure on the inflation so what do you expect for the inflation issue? And there is also an impending debt crisis, especially among the developing countries. So how do you see that? Well, inflation, I mean, it's an interesting uh, perspective. I agree with uh, Dan Dan that inflation will somewhat be ameliorated by China's uh, entry into, you know, full production. Uh, That helps on the uh, supply side. On the demand side, obviously, things will continue to deteriorate as, uh, you know, the recession continues. Uh, The U.S. laying off tens and tens of thousands of jobs uh, in the high tech sector. And these are jobs that had, you know, 100,000, 500,000 a year salaries attached to them. And that is going to have a significant effect. Uh, This is not the same as the shortages that they're having, um, you know, for people who want to flip hamburgers at McDonald's. Uh, And it's going to have a, a, you know, kind of economic downturn effect. You know, we always talk about the economic multiplier, but the economic multiplier can also work in reverse. And we're starting to see that uh, happening in the U.S. Obviously, uh, there are real concerns in in Europe. So uh, demand will be down. um, Supply side will ease. Uh, I still think that uh, that favors uh, the existing geographic distribution with Asia uh, playing a much more central role, especially as people aren't willing to invest due to uncertainties. Mm, so, Dan, what do you think about the inflation issue this year? The inflation can be a lot higher than last year if uh, some of the events continued in 2023. Uh, we have seen that EU ban on the seaborne Russian oil imports will take full effect in February. That, coupled with China's reopening, can push up inflation again. Uh, mostly concentrated in Europe, uh, but it can easily trickle down to the rest of the world. And when we look at the major forecast institutions, their inflation expectation uh, actually lasts in the next in the next three years rather than just in one year. So we might see inflation pressure gradually subside uh, in 2025. But before then, probably all the central banks biggest headache is still how fast they should hike the interest rates. Mm, And then also, uh, Ina mentioned the U.S. tech company. We can see already by many tech companies in the U.S., they are starting to have layoffs. We heard the layoffs from Alphabet. But uh, how will this impact the future of the tech industry in the months ahead? The U.S. tech industry has been growing really fast in the past 10 years. And it is the one that usually has labor shortages. But during the pandemic, this sector has been expanding quite recklessly. Uh, All companies are betting on uh, continued expansion for e-business, online remote working. Um, But it turns out once the pandemic is over, people tend to uh, go back somewhat to their previous work schedule. And companies do not necessarily want all their workers to remote work. And some of the some of the jobs has been outsourced to developing countries, uh, including India, also including China. 
And for the U.S. IT companies, they have to improve efficiency drastically. And we have seen their stock performance, and they have been pretty horrible. With anticipated increase in the federal funds rate, uh, it is quite realistic that their uh, laying off of workers will continue for a few more months or maybe even longer.、Mm. And then, so what about European economy? Do you think problems will focus more and more around Europe, where the prospects for France, German, you know, Germany, Italy, Spain, and the UK are not as good as they have been historically? Um, for Europe,、uh, the problem is mostly from energy inflation, and this year we have already seen.、Uh, although we are not even one month into 2023 yet,、mm. Germany, Austria, and Italy are worsely affected by the high energy prices, and there is no sign that there is any close slowdown、uh, in the domestic inflation. And for recessionary pressure, it is mostly acute in Germany, France, and Italy. But for Netherlands and UK, the domestic labor market pressure is so high, and wage inflation are also so high. And、um, there is a lot more work to be done、uh, by the government. But we have also seen a bigger political divide. So I would say that Europe's、uh, only silver lining this year is that their currency might be a little bit stronger.、Mm-hmm. So for domestic consumers, it's better.、Um, mm-hmm. But for the domestic export companies, it's going to be maybe a more difficult year than the last one.、Mm-hmm. So Anna, so what about China and other Asian economies? Will their positions be even stronger for the global economy this year? Yes,、uh, and for simple reason,、uh, there it's still the power production、uh, center of the world, and you know the U.S. can say, oh, they don't want to buy stuff from China, but they're not producing it at home. And that means that they're going to continue to buy shoes, clothes,、um, many, many necessities,、uh, intermediate goods that go into other goods are going to continue to come from Asia.、Um, and there's no way around that. There are no businesses out there saying that they want to、um, invest in new areas, create new、uh, production facilities, because this is a time of great uncertainty. So yes,、um, all of these economies we do well. You know, we talked about this、uh, about how. Uh, when China emerges,、mm-hmm. uh, you know what happens.、Uh, what happens to these, you know, these trade numbers and things like that. And I, I just, I still maintain that China and Asia will do better than the rest, and that's reflected in the economic forecast. And it's simply because they have the existing production capacity and also the efficiency that people are looking for.、Mm-hmm. So, Dan, do you agree with Ina, or what do you think about China and other Asian economies' role in today's global economy? Uh, China's recovery will be the biggest economic driver and event for 2023.、Uh, there's no doubt about it. It is still the largest single market for consumers, and we know how generous Chinese tourists can be in overseas markets.、Um, but when we look at Asia as a whole, there are some new trends that has been accelerated during the pandemic and has continued in 2023. Uh, there is a weaker, much weaker global demand, mostly due to、uh, the slowdown in economy in the U.S. and Europe. And、um, they are the largest two markets for Asia export. 
uh, in past 10 years, about 15% of Asia's shipments went to the U.S. and about 10% went to the EU. This year, we know both markets are in uh, big trouble uh, in terms of economic growth. So for the Asian exporting economies, they will suffer greatly. And within the Asian economies, there's also this reallocation of supply chains. Uh, for some countries, especially ASEAN and China, uh, they would have greater integration, but still the assembly lines will be moved around depending on, on the population growth or economic outlook. And that can cause some um, disruptions in the global supply, which can potentially push up uh, the prices further this year. Mm. So, Aina, what do you think, uh, you know, for some Asian economies such as uh, uh, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, India, et cetera, et cetera, what are their role in the global supply chain? Well, the, uh, both commodities, uh, you know, you need food. Uh, and I always talk about the essential economy versus the choice economy. The essential is what you need to live. Choices are what you desire. Um, those are countries that are producing, you know, shoes, clothes, the things that you, you can't really do without. They also produce a lot of, of food stuff. So I think they will be okay. But so much of this is hinging on China's um, market, whether or not uh, they can get the consumption um, up again. And a lot of that depends on getting, you know, more policies from the government to help small, medium-sized business entities and also increase the number of jobs and disposable income. Uh, it's not about savings. Um, Chinese consumer um, citizens have 17 trillion U.S. dollars worth of savings. Uh, that's the highest point ever. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's there. It's really about confidence. And part of that confidence is the reality of whether I have a job and um, I, I have a dis you know, disposable income. And one thing that I admire about the Chinese government is, you know, from the last couple of years, they have been concentrating on reducing costs uh, in everything from logistics uh, to manufacturing, uh, distribution, you name it. And that brings down the price. That's one way you can increase disposable income. It's not just about um, you know wages rising. It's about the value that you can get from it improving productivity. Mm. So it seems that uh, the world is currently at a tipping point, uh, you know, COVID-19, food and energy shortages and supply chain issues and uh, climate change. So then how do you see this change of the trend? People say we are facing the trend of deglobalization or fragmentation, whatever you term it. But what should we do for the cooperation? Um, for different economies in the world now, uh, they each face their own challenges. Um, and the cooperation is in place for some of the common issues like climate change efforts. But even in that front, with limited resources and fiscal spending capacity, there is not much room, at least this year or next year in sight, for governments to um, get more integrated or cooperated uh, in their policies. But the good news is we can see that the industrial landscape for new energy sector is still rolling out uh, as fast, almost nearly as fast as the pre-pandemic level. Uh, for Europe, uh, it has uh, difficulties in pushing down the energy prices, but every 
government is still quite serious about replacing their traditional fuel engine car with new energy vehicles, and they're quite serious about replacing those polluting industries with、uh, the clean ones. So that would pave the way for at least continuing the conversation channel between different nations. And for the Asian economies, things are more complicated. Um, because on the one hand, they have to cooperate.、Uh, everyone is part of the supply chain, especially in consumer,、uh, consumer electronics and machine tools. But for some economy like India, it is expanding so fast、uh, with population growth still. So that means for any global companies, they have to reconsider their Asian production strategy and consumer market sales strategy. Uh, and it can be quite tricky since the world is not yet、um, settled on where it is going after the pandemic.、Mm. So then, for China's economy, the country's、uh, foreign direct investment or FDI rose by six point three percent year on year in the year twenty twenty two. So how important is it?、Uh, the FDIs had been the main drivers for China's growth early on in the nineteen nineties and early two thousands. And in later years, it has more concentrated in the high tech sector,、uh, electronic industry. It has helped China's upgrade of its supply chains. Now it is still quite important, but to a slightly different direction.、Uh, given that the China-U.S. relation is not going to improve drastically in the short term, there's a real decoupling in the high tech sector. And that means China will have to rely more on its self-sufficiency and domestic innovation capacity. But on the consumer side, we still see this high interest from the global investors、uh, coming to China, serving China's market. And on the financial side, the momentum is even stronger.、Uh, there's the understanding that China's valuation for its stock market has been low for a long time. So there's gains to be made by almost all investors in the world.、Uh, other developing nations, emerging markets, have been facing difficulties of high debt and low growth. But for China,、uh, given that、uh, COVID is out of the picture, now we are on this route of faster growth、uh, if the housing market can reboot and consumer co- confidence can restore. Uh, and we can see that the financial market has already moved before the real economy takes off, and there's the growing sentiment that China's economy will be quite bright in the coming years.、Mm, so, Ina, so will China remains a bright spot in the growth in 2023 and for the FDI? Yes, it will.、Um, I mean, there there are a lot of、uh, projections in terms of how much、uh, China will go.、Um, obviously, you know, obviously, with、uh, when we started off, we, we were talking about the IMF's、um, forecast, and they they raised it to four point four percent. But if you start talking to the money men who are investing, whether it's J.P. Morgan、uh, or、uh, Goldman Sachs, they're at least a full point above that. And、uh, even perhaps more. And then the Chinese economists are saying it could be as much as seven point five, seven to eight、uh, percent.、Um, in that case,、uh, China would be literally the savior of the world. And you know, given China's position,、uh, you would be thinking that countries would be cheering China on, go, go, go. You know, this is going to help、mm-hmm. restart the economy. Hopefully. 
um, there will be a new kind of pragmatism that develops out of this uh, recession uh, in Europe and America. And they just simply say, look, you know, we have to be pragmatic about it. We stop fighting gravity. Uh, let's um, try to figure out how we can uh, work together. Mm. And then 31 Chinese provinces have set the robust 2023 targets for major economic indicators from GDP to retail sales. And GDP growth targets range from uh, 4% to 9.5%, with more than half expecting their GDP to grow by 6% or even higher. So what do you make of such efforts in economic expansion for this year? Uh, all provinces are in the position that their economy uh, can have a very strong rebound this year, given how low last year base was. And when we look at several important industries, including commodity and tourism, the momentum now is so strong that I actually don't think those provinces are being overly optimistic. For large co-producing provinces like Shanxi and Inner Mongolia, their performance were way above the national average in 2022. And we anticipate a further expansion of uh, the provincial uh, GDP this year. And then for tourists, uh, for popular tourist spots, uh, mainly in Yunnan, Sichuan, Hainan, and the northeastern provinces, they have a pretty optimistic forecast on how many people will visit on their different uh, uh, tourist scenes. And I think uh, given the pent up demand among Chinese consumers, those places will welcome uh, rising visits from not just uh, people for leisure, but also business visits. And with China's economic engine transitioning from high growth to high quality, mm. more people will spend money on services. Mm. And then you early mentioned the uh, decreasing population in China. So what do you think are the major implications of a decreasing population on China's economy? From the global perspective, with China's population decline, uh, India has become the most populous country in the world, in, officially in January 2023. So people have different economic forecasts now uh, for the long term. It used to be China leading the world, but now with India's uh, growth further expected, there will be rising demand for machine tools as the market for auto, medical, aircraft, and semiconductor industries expand in India, while those industries in China will more or less plateau because some of the assembly lines will have to move to other markets uh, to reduce the cost since the labor cost will go up in China. And for domestic demand, this also means in the short term, uh, there is going to be difficulties in boosting uh, the demand for housing and consumer goods. And for India, uh, this is almost like uh, the best news they can hope for for this year. And the global investors are quite excited about their growth. And for companies, especially manufacturing companies from Korea and Japan, they have already started to build new factories in India. So, Aina, so economically, can a shrinking labor force be offset by technologies or, or by the automation and artificial intelligence? 
Yes, I, I take a different track from the the one that was voiced by by Dan Dan, and mm. I, I don't agree at all that China is on a downward slide. First off, in terms of available uh, resources, 32% of China's population is in the rural areas. If you you know contrast that with the U.S., um, you know you you only have two less than two percent of the people uh, producing all the agricultural needs uh, of the U.S. Or I shouldn't say needs, uh, so a lot of import, but um, they can, we can. U.S. can produce more food than it can consume. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of excess there. And also, uh, as we've talked about mechanization, if you do, in fact, get to the point where, uh, which we will uh, with driverless uh, transportation, more drones instead of uh, delivery people and things like that, uh, you're going to see, you know, massive change in the in the uh, in the industries and it's not just blue collar uh, workers and white collar workers bureauc- bureaucrats won't be needed accountants uh, lawyers will all take a hit as more of the processes that they're involved in are can be automated through smart contracts etc so we're on the verge of a very very different kind of economy so what what becomes important in that economy is productivity uh, as i was alluding to earlier uh, if you know, one person can do the the work of four with the help of automation. Uh, you've actually increased productivity because um, that that automation uh, is going to be able to work much better and, and you know and more efficiently than an individual. Uh, you won't have you know if you had uh, Huawei is putting together these automated uh, logistics harbor facilities. Uh, that means that you don't have to worry about strikes as much. Uh, the labor component will be much smaller. But that brings up another issue, which mm-hmm. is you have to change your workforce. Uh, the country that is prepared for the future will win the future. And um, uh, China is now um, embarked on uh, you know, creating more um, schools that can produce the people that are needed to repair the machines, to make the machines, to envision them. Um, and those are going to be very important. But to the extent that you know, China, this idea that it's on a downward slope because it doesn't have a population rise, I think is not at all true. Uh, India, uh, despite all the hype, is facing real, real pressures uh, from here. It's bureaucracy, uh, the impossibility of doing business there. You can just see the trail of companies that have uh, tried to enter India and not been successful. They have a massive number of uh, unemployed young people uh, who don't have the skill sets necessary uh, to be productive. Uh, they have real issues. Um, uh, I don't agree that uh, India is the future. I, I believe it's going to continue to have, as they say, lots of potential, but not necessarily living up to it. So, Aina, you mentioned different kind of economy. So, which sectors of the society do you think may lead to the greatest economic growth in China this year? Well, you know, obviously uh, the tech industry as uh, money pours in so that they can uh, get around all of these uh, uh, embargoes that the U.S. has set up. And um, there's also, you know, the obviously the service industry, as Dan Dan pointed out, uh, they're starting out with a very, very low base. So increases are going to be uh, very high. You look for airline industries, uh, hotels, anything to do with tourism uh, and travel. Um, those are the easy ones uh, to kind of uh, point out. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.